uh, One Month to Live uh, are, is our series. And what we've been exploring is the idea, uh, and it's not to be morbid or it's not to scare you or anything, but if all of a sudden you found out you had 30 days to live, how would you live it? And then are there some truths as you explore that? Well, maybe I'd share my faith more. Maybe I'd do this more. Maybe I'd spend more time with my family. Maybe I'd, you know, as you explore that, and we, we're in small groups doing that, are there truths that maybe you, you can just start to implement if your life goes longer than 30 days? If the Lord gives you more time than just 30 days? And how, how do we... Uh, uh, how do we take what we learn about one month to live and then apply it so that we can live like Jesus did? That's kind of the whole point of where we're going. And so um, <clears throat> we're going to read a story about uh, four, four guys who uh, helped out their friend and did something drastic. But before we do that, I, I kind of want to set up two of the verses that we're going to be talking about every week. And the first is John chapter uh, 10. It says this, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And what, what Jesus is talking about here, we talked about this a little bit last week, is that uh, the thief right, is, not, is not Satan in this particular passage. You know, we, we, Satan has been called a thief. He's been called a liar. Uh, he, he's called all these things in Scripture. But in this particular case, what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about protecting his sheep, those that have relationship with him. And in that day, you'd, you'd have a, a kind of a valley would come in and then uh, they'd, they'd herd the sheep all into kind of where they couldn't go anywhere and then they'd put a gate up to protect them and then they could just sit and watch for the wolves and things like that. And so Jesus was talking in that, par- in that statement, he talks about being not only the gate, but the shepherd. And essentially the point is this, that life in Jesus Christ is the only way to have life abundantly. Everything else kills, steals, and destroys. And we've seen this over and over again. We see it in the economy right now. Everyone's throwing up their hands. What are we going to do? There's 10% unemployment. There's uh, the, the recovery plan, whether or however you fit on the scale of right to left politically. It's not working that great. <clears throat> you know, whatever. I'm, it's not an indictment upon anyone. I'm just saying money doesn't satisfy Maybe for a little while. Maybe you're in a relationship and everything's going fantastic and, and it's never been better and you're going to get married and all of a sudden you get married and you realize, good night. This dude actually smells bad, right? Okay? And so there, things change. And so you put all this stock in the new house and in the new job and in and the new this and the new that and you realize, man, all that does is kill, st- kill steal, and destroy. But a life in Christ is the life that has abundance. And then the other verse we looked at is in, in, in uh, Psalms. And it says this, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And basically what's happening is uh, the writer in Psalms is prophesying about Jesus. And he says, Jesus came to give life abundantly, to, to be built upon uh, uh, to build your life upon him, and he was rejected. And we read in the scripture about him being rejected by the crowds, being rejected by Pilate, being rejected by the Pharisees, and ultimately being deserted by the disciples. And so that, that, that stone that the, building re- that the builders rejected, when he died and was risen from the dead to give us life, he's become the capstone, the chief cornerstone on which we're to build our lives. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you hear my words and you obey them, you've built your life on the rock. And he says something that's really important. When 
the rains come, when the storm comes, when the waves hit, your building will remain. But if you don't listen to my words, if you don't obey them, your house will be built on the sand. And when the storm comes and when the rains hit, you will be ruined. And that's what we're seeing. Now it goes on. It says he's become um, uh, the chief capstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Hey, all right, cool. Uh, I did it. Uh, but it, it goes on. So, so here's the point of, of the psalm. God did this. God has provided a way for you to have a life of abundance, not in a your best day today or, you know, believe in Jesus and your stock portfolio go up. No, it's a life built on the rock, a life of abundance that when that storm comes, you've got a solid rock to turn to, a relationship with God that could care less where the stock market is at. Okay, so it goes on. So it says marvelous in our eyes. And then it says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And we talked about this last week. Today, this day, right now, you're sitting there and you're looking at me next to maybe a loved one. Maybe you're like someone you want to be a loved one. I don't know. Uh, But you're sitting next to someone. You're here for a purpose today. God has made today and he's made you to be alive today. So what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we make today, how do we make this life with the storms and the challenges that we face today, how do we live abundantly? If you're going through the book with us, this chapter or this section is called uh, um, Live Passionately. Live passionately. Now, it doesn't just stop there. Today, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. It doesn't just stop there. It keeps going. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I made that real sparkly so that you'd remember. In it. You mean I can be rejoice and be glad in my marriage that's failing? Yes. I can rejoice and be glad even though next week I might get a pink slip? Yes. I can rejoice and be glad even in the jacked up family I was born into with all that went on in my childhood. I can rejoice and be glad in today. Absolutely, because there was a chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, that died for us to give us relationship with God that we might have life and have it to its fullest. Even today, even with the uncertainty of the stock market and who got elected to what and all that kind of stuff. It's just so fun to watch, isn't it? I don't know. I just have fun watching it. Uh, But that's what he's talking about. There are three people in our our church family. We're a free Methodist church. And um, I can tell you more about what that means at a later time. But um, there were some people in our church family that lived life to the fullest, an abundant life. We have a video that kind of touches on their lives a little bit. Suddenly, everybody, everybody at church, at home, at work, everywhere, on the street, on the car, they had quicker start. Mm-hmm. Start. And people start to die. It was, uh, it is a very, very difficult, difficult moment.
just six days ago when I was here, I had preached at the end of annual conference. I had preached on the resurrected body and I had preached on the hope we have in Jesus that even though these physical bodies will one day fail us or one day die, that we have the assurance because Jesus was the, the first one resurrected. Gene DeFore died in this building behind us. They came as missionaries to work alongside our beloved Haitian brothers and sisters. They passed away doing what they wanted to do, and they were right beside the people they wanted to be with. Haitian and American died together on the 12th of January and Haitian and American lived together on the 16th of January and we will work to rebuild homes and rebuild schools, rebuild churches. The message of the resurrection of the body is a great encouragement to those who have lost loved ones, but yet still they have to deal with the question of what will we eat tomorrow, what will we drink tomorrow, how will we rebuild our house which has been flattened and, and our car which has been flattened, very practical issues. I know many of us would want to know how can we come and help, and there will be ways to help. For right now though, what we need is we need money. I mean, there, that is just the fastest, most efficient way to help is to give money either through the Bishop's Famine and Re Relief Fund or through the HelpHaitiHeal.org uh, website, which is the Free Methodist World Missions uh, channel for giving. away doing what they wanted to do and they were right beside the people they wanted to be with. It's amazing, isn't it? Their lives mattered. They died with lives that mattered. They died with abundant lives. Actually, one of their spouses survived that quake and so now has to deal with not only seeing that devastation but losing a loved one and figuring out why in the world would this happen. This morning's going to be a little different than other mornings. Typically what I do is I, I share the scripture and we go with it and we go over it and we talk about what different words mean and how it ties in with other scriptures and how it ties in with our lives. But this morning, I'm going to ask you three questions. And, and really, these three questions are designed uh, to begin to maybe get us to think, if, if, if my life is designed to be abundant... If it's designed to have joy, if it's designed to uh, have this relationship with God, then when I look at it, do I really, is that really what it looks like? And if not, how do I get it to look like that? Because really in the Christian church today, if I might be honest, we've boiled all of Christianity down to sin management. Where we just try to figure out, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, and I don't want to do that anymore, and God will be mad at me if I did that. And, and listen, I mean, that's all important, and our sin's important, and you know me, I'm a, I'm a holiness guy, and I like 
pounding my Bible. If I had a podium, I'd be smashing it on, telling us all to be more holy. But here's the problem. We, we can't. I mean, we, we have to move beyond that level of thinking. This, this idea of, well, when I get my act together, then I'll do that. When this happens, then I get that. When I learn more, then I, 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 I'll, I'll do this. And here's, here's the, the, the question we're going to kind of sit on for a little bit. What if you did something drastic? That's your first question. What if you did something drastic? Crazy. I want to read a story in Luke. It's one of my favorite stories. It's in Luke chapter 5. Um, and it's about Jesus uh, teaching in a, in a house, and some people bring this paralyzed guy to them. It's in Luke chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, and I, I don't have it up there, but um, uh, Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read the story. One, one day, this is starting in verse 17, I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles. Luke is towards the end of the Bible. Third gospel. Okay, sorry. One day, As he was teaching, he meaning Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. It's very important that we see that. Jesus is in a house. And guess what the house is filled with? Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious elite. And guess what they're doing? They're just sitting there. Okay? They're listening to him. Pharisees and Sadducees, I'm sorry, uh, come to every village. Yeah, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. The power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the Pharisees and teachers of the law who were sitting there. I added that myself, sorry. Okay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, who were sitting there, uh, 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 began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow? I, don't, I doubt they said fellow, because that's just weird. Who is this fellow? Uh, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a very good question. Maybe God alone. Jesus knew Uh, that they were thinking, what they were thinking, that's so cool, he knows what you're thinking, scary, and and asked, why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He wasn't reprimanding him, you know, like take your ball and go home. Is this the command? Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen some remarkable things today. You think? Uh, That's all you have to say? We've seen some remarkable things today? A guy, they take a guy, they put him in the top of a roof, they, they make a big hole, they lower him down. Jesus berates all the Sadducees and teachers of the law that were there and then heals the guy and he gets up and he takes his mat home and all you have to say is we've seen some remarkable things today. Crazy. How did this all happen? 
It happened because somebody chose to do something drastic to get somebody else to Jesus. These guys helped their friend get to Jesus. And it was extremely uncomfortable, and obstacles needed to be removed, and, it, and, and they were around people who could have kicked them out of the synagogue. I mean, let me paint the picture for you. First of all, in that society, if you were paralyzed, if you were blind, if you were maimed, they believed that was God's judgment on you. So not only did you have this, no way to make money, no way to do anything, but everyone believed, well, yeah, that's what happens when you mess with God. As a matter of fact, a blind man comes to Jesus, and Jesus, uh, he's blind, and the disciples say, who, who uh, sinned, him or his dad, or his parents? And he's like, nobody sinned. He's here to give God glory. What are you talking about? But that's what they believed then. So these guys take this, 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 this guy who'd been quote-unquote judged by God and they, they show up at this place and it's filled with Pharisees and teachers of the law inside and guess who's standing outside? The lost and the broken and those who need healing who should have been inside. But there's no place inside because those who were inside should have been outside and those who were outside should have been inside. You see? Not that that would ever happen now, but maybe it could. So they show up and they can't get inside. So one of them says, I got an idea. Let's go up on the house and make a hole. Now, you have to understand, this was most likely Peter's mother's-in-law's house. Okay? So Peter's married, and they'd, when they're in Capernaum, which is where they were, they'd stay at, at uh, Peter's mother's, at mother-in-law's. Where, where do you put the apostrophe? Mother's in, mother-in-law's house. Anyway, I don't know if you met Peter, but he's a little unstable. So when you go up to Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house and you start pulling the roof off, there's a really good chance Peter's not going to handle this very well. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he was doing something else. I don't know why he didn't show up, but here they are, and they start ripping this ceiling. Now, if you understand how buildings were built in that day, it wasn't like, you know, they got a nail puller and just started kind of taking things off and pulling it aside. As they began to dig through this roof, there's a thing called gravity, and the things in the roof start falling down on the people below, who happens to be the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and Jesus. And so here's, here's the idea. I'm speaking to you guys. I'm giving you an incredibly uh, wonderful sermon that's inspiring and life-changing, and you're all listening to me. And all of a sudden you hear, up, up in here, right? And so I go, okay, you know, look up, and debris starts falling on me, and uh, all of a sudden, this, that part of the thing falls down, and you guys are like, what's going on? And he lands right in front of me, and I go, oh, your sins are forgiven. And you guys go, you can't say that. And I go, I know what you're thinking, right, because I can read minds. And then I say, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And you guys are like, well, get up and walk would actually be a pretty cool thing. And so I tell him to get up and walk. And he gets up and he walks. All because somebody did something drastic. Somebody went around all the social norms and dealt with a paralytic who was 
quote-unquote judged by God. And then they show up, and they don't just go, oh, man, sorry, Frankie, uh, you know what? We I, knew, you know, I told you we should have gotten here earlier. There's no way to get in now. It's totally packed, and besides, there's Pharisees in there, and they frighten me, right? No, they don't. They go past the social barrier. They go past, you know, all the people who are going, what are you doing? They, they remove the obstacle of the roof all to get somebody to Jesus, Why? Because Jesus has the power to heal. Everything else steals, kills, and destroys. But Jesus is the one that's going to change. Jesus is their only shot. And here's my question for us today. What would our life look like in the next 30 days if we did something drastic to get somebody to Jesus? I don't know what 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 your obstacles are. I know what mine are. Fear. Sometimes I'm scared to share my faith. Like, even as a pastor, yeah, I totally understand. You know, you don't want to be viewed as weird. You don't want to, you know, maybe, maybe it's somebody I work with, and they just saw me cuss out that client, and now I'm telling them about Jesus. Yeah, right, right? So sometimes you feel like, man, I, I'm not really, I'm not really, I really shouldn't do that. Here's what I'm here to tell you. Yes, you should. It's the enemy. It, 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 it's your own pride that says you have to be at a certain level in order to to share the love of Jesus with somebody. What would you look like if you did did something drastic? And here's the thing. It's not just little tweaks in your life. It's something drastic. These guys didn't just say, well, you know what? I'll tell you what we'll do. You know, Jesus usually goes along this road. Why don't we just kind of go there and wait around and kind of hopefully Jesus will walk by someday and we'll just see him and then, and then we'll talk to him if he's not busy. These aren't little tweaks. These are major things. So here's what it would look like in our lives. We're, we're all here and uh, we're here today. and We're rejoicing today. Maybe... You know, as we've been doing all these changes in the high school and junior high ministry, maybe you sign up for a year to take on four girls, if you're a woman, or four guys, and you invest your life into them. And you say, well, I don't have time. Well, maybe you need to do something drastic to make time. Or maybe, maybe, and, and again, this is between you and God. I'm going to bring up ideas, but the Lord might have already talked to you about getting involved in the ministry like we saw with the McDonald's, you know. But, 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 but uh, you know, maybe it's going to one of their games or going to one of their plays. Maybe it's getting involved in just the awkwardness. I mean, imagine the awkwardness of taking this guy, this paralyzed guy, through all the people, and they were there first, and you're like, no, we're just going up on the roof, and it's just awkward, and they're looking at you, and why are you doing that? And, and then it's so awkward pulling the thing around, and hi, Jesus. You know, it's just, first it's a little peephole, and you're like, I can see the top of his head. Move, you know, over to the left, because we're going to, you know, and you're doing all that. It's awkward. But they did something drastic. And they saw remarkable things. And so what is your life? What needs to be shifted? What needs to be changed to give you the time, to give you the resources to be able to do something drastic? Like helping out some high school kids or God forbid some junior high kids, right? Oh my goodness. What would that look like? And I don't want to hear about 
uh, uh, the Lord doesn't want to hear about, well, I, I, listen, I'm not qualified to stand on this stage. I'm a sinner. But God has qualified me to do it. Just like you say, well, I don't know. I mean, if they knew my past. I, you know what? Your past is probably their present. And they need someone to guide them through those waters. I would not be here today if it was not for Calvin Sagarian in high school. There were six of us. And he took us under his wing. And he'd go out to breakfast with us. And, he'd sh- and man, we tore that guy to shreds. We were just jerks. I mean, we were, you know, everything every kid does, you know. He wants to talk about Jesus, and we're making sounds, you know, (laughs) doing stuff, making noises, right? But over time, week after week after week, because he did something drastic, I became a pastor. My friend Paul became a missionary. My friend Rob became a pastor. I mean, just incredible things. Because he did something drastic. These guys did something drastic too. I want to just kind of read a, a little thing because you say, but I don't have the strength to do that. I don't, I don't even know how, where I'd begin. I don't know what I'd do. I'm not qualified. I'm not, if you knew my marriage, if you knew my background, if you knew this, if you knew that. But listen, and, and we will do a background check just in case. You, so there are some backgrounds that actually might disqualify you, not because we don't love you, but felonies do kind of disqualify you from high school ministry uh uh just saying okay so john 15 5 this is what jesus says i am the vine you are the branches if a man remains in me and i in him he will bear much fruit listen apart from me you can do nothing what's the implication with me you can do anything that's the implication With Christ, you can make drastic measures. You you can do something drastic and have it pay off for all eternity. It goes on, and it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus is sharing this. Listen, this is all about a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, uh, Now, remain in my love. How do we do that, Jesus? If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And this is where we get caught up because we think it's sin. You know, we think, well, I didn't obey his command. I saw something I shouldn't have seen. I thought something I shouldn't have thought. I said something I shouldn't have said. I got a divorce and that does this and this does that. That's not what he's talking about, although that certainly is a part of it. What he's talking about is when he tells you, share your faith now, pray for this person now, do this now, sign up for this now, he wants you to obey and remain in his love. And you say, oh, you mean it's conditional? No, it's when we obey, it's when we sense the fullness of his presence because we're doing something drastic for him, not just for drastic sake. He goes on. He says, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now listen, this is the whole point of the whole thing. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It sounds a lot like I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly because we're stepping out in faith. That there might be some people in children's ministry who need somebody for a fourth and fifth grade class to take a year out and to teach them, to help them, to invest in them. And I think one of the biggest 
problems with our society today is we've gotten so into the, we, what's not important that we, it leaves no time for what's really important. And this is not a guilt trip at all. Trust me. It's not. If it's done by guilt, it's the wrong motives. But what, what, what if you did something drastic? What would that look like in your life? Would it be talking to a boss? Would it be going next door and talking to a neighbor? I, Lisa and I started doing drastic stuff in our life about 15 years ago. I was that Pharisee sitting in the, ch- in the chair, looking at what was going on and having my opinion and how I think church should be run and this and that and this and that. And people are getting healed and things are happening and great ministry is happening. And yet I've got, I know what's blasphemy and what's not and what should take place and what shouldn't take place. I was that Pharisee in the midst of healing, in the midst of, in the midst of great ministry that was going on. And the Lord got a hold of me, not a hold of Lisa. She was already there praying for me, and finally I, the light came on. And so we started to do drastic things, and one of the drastic things we started doing was we started praying for people. Uh, so we'd talk to people, and they'd tell us our, their problems just in the normal thing of life, and we'd go, can I pray for you? And they'd say yes, and so we'd pray for them right then and there. And you know what? They were so offended. No, listen. They didn't care. What I thought was so drastic and so outside the box and I'm really living my faith on my sleeve, they were just thankful that I'd listen to them and pray. And the first time I did it, I thought I was going to die. I'm like, can you hear my heart? It is pounding out of my chest. I didn't know how to pray. I'd been a Christian for years and I'm just like, dear God, help everything. And world peace, amen. How do you feel now? Is that okay? Right? But over time, as I began to, as we began to see, because what, what began to happen was God began to move. And here's the thing. Listen, this is so vitally important. We're going to talk about this in a little bit when it gets to the next point. Your only job is to bring them to Jesus. It's Jesus' job to do the miracle. And so a lot of times I, I would think like, man, if I pray in faith that this person's husband gets a job and they don't, what's Jesus going to do then? We've just blown it, right? It's almost better to pray and kind of not have anything bad go to than to pray and it not work out, right? No, it's better to take a risk. It's, a, it's better to look at your life and say, what if I did something drastic and I actually prayed for this person to give Jesus a chance? And so we got better at it. I mean, I got better. <laughs> Lisa was already good at it. I got better at it. And so what was normally uncomfortable, now is something normal. You're comfortable. I could be anywhere and just go, oh, man, that's really terrible. Can I pray for you? And, oh, yeah, thanks. Okay, look, can I pray right now? Yeah. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for Stephanie. I pray that you would uh, bring healing to her family. I'm sorry for that. You just go on and it's just as normal as talking. Not because I'm so great, but because after you make a few drastic moves and you see that neighbor wave and go, hey, I have something to tell you. Something awesome happened. I've seen remarkable things today. And you go, you know what? There might be something to this. The second thing is this. What if you embraced the unexpected? What if you embrace the unexpected? What if t- this Wednesday, when you look on your desk and there's a pink slip, you had an entirely different reaction? You embraced it rather than got all cocooned up and what am I going to do now? You said, all right, Lord, I'm trusting in you. 
Bring it. Let's see what we're going to do. Here's what happened to these guys. I mean, I feel kind of sorry for them. But he, so they, they, they cut the hole and they do all this stuff and they lower their buddy down right in front of Jesus, like right there. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been fishing, but sometimes I'll try it. You know, I'm not a very good fisherman. I guess if you see the fish, it's already too late. But I'll see them and I'll try and like put the bait right out in front of the fish. So it like goes, you know, that's what they did. They're like right in front of, yeah, we nailed it right in front of Jesus. Let's see if he bites. And he does bite. And he, you know what he says? Your sins are forgiven. Uh, oh, cool. Thanks. Kind of wanted to walk, but the sins thing is really great too. His buddies are like, did it work? And he's like, he said my sins are forgiven. Awesome. Let's reel him back in. Okay. We'll catch him on the road or something. He's not, he's not hungry or whatever. It's not working. It didn't work out the way he had expected. But let me ask you this question, though. What if we embraced that? But what if, what if we said, okay, you know what? I'm losing the house. Let's see what happens. The relationship didn't work out. Let's see what happens. Now, are those things not hard? Of course they're hard. For, for us, this came in the form of um, a, a visit to the doctor's office. Uh, for me, um, our son was having some issues, so, some stuff that was going on, and so we took him to the doctor, and they did they put probes all over his head and stuff, and they didn't come up with anything. So we're like, cool, thank you, Lord. Lord, for healed him, or it, he didn't find anything. Praise God, and praise reports went out, and yeah, awesome. We don't have to worry about anything. Except th- these things didn't stop, and so we went back to the doctor again, and they put the probes on, and everything went. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, you know, I had a meeting after the doctor's appointment, and I don't know if you've ever been to the doctor's office. They're not the most efficient places to be. So I'm looking at my watch, I'm looking at my watch, and the nurse comes in and says, hey, uh, the doctor needs to talk to you if you have time. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> so have them email me or whatever. Uh, I got a meeting I have to go to. And she said, no, you're, you need to make time. I'm like, well, then why did you ask me? You know, just tell me that in the first place. So I show up, we walk, we walk into the doctor's office, and they got these little chairs, like the little kid chairs in there. So I'm just like sitting there, you know, totally uncomfortable. And here's what he does. He walks in, he says, hi, how you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. He says, your son has epilepsy. Oh, like, no, I'm sorry. Brace yourself. Uh, I got some bad news. Here's a box of Kleenex. None of that. Just your son has epilepsy. And I go, what does that even mean? I mean, I don't even know. And he starts talking. And I'm not even, it's just like, burr, 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 burr. I'm, you know, you're trying to, you know, if you, if, if, if you are a spouse and, Somebody, your spouse walks in and says, I've had an affair. You know what it's like. It's the same type of thing. Or you get, you know, your mom passed away or whatever. Whatever the thing is, you're, you just, your brain can't process. And so I go, oh, okay. And he tells me it's partial, you know, you know, complex, frontal lobe, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay. And he goes, yeah, I've written you a prescription. Here you go. Go, it's downstairs. 
And I go, I go, what? I go, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. And he said, look, and he looked at me and he said, this is going to be a long haul for you. Now, I have a choice at that time to curse God, to say this didn't work out. I quit my job and became a pastor for this, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. It doesn't mean a hill of beans. I have a choice right there to embrace the unexpected and go, okay, Lord, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? And some, some of us right now, we're going through that unexpected time right now. And the Lord's here to say, listen, if you build your house on the rock, you're going to be able to make, through, uh, make it through. And the reason I bring up that example is because I'm not that great at that example, depending on the week. And so I struggle just like anybody. But here's what I found out through the whole process. The more I press into the Lord, the more I abide in Christ, the more I go to him and go, I don't understand what's going on. Ah, the more my house is built on the rock and we can face anything. What if you you embraced it? Have you ever had something happen in your life and it all worked out and you look back and went, I kind of wish I had handled that better. I kind of wish I had trusted in the Lord during that time. Have you ever done that? I don't know if you're like me. I've done that before where I've gone through a hard period and it ended great and I'm like, oh, I should have trusted him more. It's true, it's wasted time. When, when, we, when we don't embrace the unexpected, we, in our small group, uh, uh, we have the Blazaks in our group, and Dave Blazak said, you know, in my 30 days, you know what I want to do? Um, he wrote it down. I don't want to view um, interruption. He says, interruptions are opportunities. I love that. I don't want to view interruptions as interruptions. I want to view them as opportunities. And this opportunity, these guys who took this risk and wanted their friend to be, yeah, it worked out all great and everything's all good, but the opportunity was that Jesus could say, because to show you I have the power to forgive sins, I'm going to say, take up your pallet and walk. Amazing opportunity. Why? Because somebody did something drastic. And it gave Jesus an opportunity to move. The last thing is this. Oh, you know what? I said this last last. Uh, thing. I don't know who this is for, but listen, don't waste this recession. Don't waste it. We have opportunities to share the gospel and to be, be, to be peaceful in the midst of turmoil. And, and, and when everything turns around, if it does, and the stock market starts soaring and everything's fine, we miss an opportunity to share with people what your hope is built on. And so let's not waste this opportunity to be able to, you can talk to anybody about the economy and you can talk to anybody about what what God can do in this and how how we're not scared of it. So I I wrote that down so I wouldn't forget. Um, Number three here, what if you kept a reminder? What if you remembered everything God did? This guy, he, it says, we've seen remarkable things today. Listen, when you get to the end of your day in your normal work week and you go to bed, do you look and you say, man, I've seen remarkable things today. I, I, I just saw some great things. If not, there's a good chance we're not living the way God had intended us to live. And maybe your drastic thing is forgiving uh, your, your ex-husband or your ex-wife for everything they did to you. And you go, you know what? You call them up, you say, I just want you to know I forgive you and 
I'm just letting it go. Maybe that's your drastic thing. And you begin to see how God begins to take those chains of bitterness, those chains away from you. Maybe your drastic thing is going to your neighbor and saying, hi, my name's John, and I know I've lived next to you for 20 years, and I never got your name, but I'm an idiot, so how's it going? Right? You all have those relationships. I don't know if you're like me, but when you walk the dog, there's that certain house that has dogs. And every time you see the person, all you talk about is dogs. And you're like, how's your dog? Oh, my dog's good. Oh, it's good to see him. He sure is looking good. What do you put eggs in his food? Yeah, it makes the coat shiny. Great. Okay, see you later. Maybe your drastic thing is to take that to the next level and go, how long have you been in the area? What do, you, what do you guys do for fun? What do you do? Well, you start to get to know them, and all of a sudden you invite them to church. God forbid you make that drastic move. Or you invite them over for dinner, and you forget church altogether. Or you invite them out to coffee. I, I don't know what your drastic thing is, but listen, can you get to the end of your day and say, man, I've seen remarkable things today. That guy, when he got up, Jesus told him to take his mat and go home. What do you think he did with his mat? Maybe. Maybe he framed it. That's what I would have done. I'd have put it on my wall, framed in whatever they framed it in back then, camel skin or whatever, and, and it would be framed there. And when people came over to my house, I'd go, oh, man, let me tell you the story about that mat. Why my crazy friends took me on and they busted me through. I was so scared and then Dinkin' Tim slipped, and it flipped like that. I thought I was going to fall out, but he made it down, and this is what happened. And this is what Jesus did for me. What if your life looked like that? What if you remembered what he did? What, what if you began to operate that he can still do that? What if I did? Because, see, listen, to th- here's the thing. I didn't mention this first service. But for a pastor, it's very simple. I mean, I can always look back to when I quit my job and became a pastor and put that as some type of icon of how great I am. You know what? It doesn't mean Jack now. That was four years ago. That's over. I want to see him do remarkable things today, now, in my life. I don't want to be the same next year that I am today. As the worship band returns, I want to talk about this guy. If you look at this, this is in World War I. I said two last semester or whatever it was, and I got, I got berated. And so um, <coughs> I want to read about this guy named Captain Noel Godfrey Shavase. He died when he was 33 years old. And here's what was said about his life. He was a stretcher bearer in World War I. And here's what was said about his life. He's talking about what he did. The next day... Along with another stretcher bearer, he returned to the battlefield to rescue a fallen soldier. Even after being hit by shrapnel, he carried the man 500 yards to safety before returning to help others. His amazing bravery didn't end there. That night, he went back to rescue three wounded men who had been sheltering in a shell crater just 25 yards from the enemy trench. Satisfied there were no more wounded to save, he buried the bodies of the two officers and collected dozens of identity tags from the fallen so that their loved ones would know their fate. General Birdwood says this, um, in Canada, the, the highest honor you can get is the Victoria Cross. Here's what it says, if, if I had 100 Victoria Crosses to distribute, every one of them should go to the stretcher bearers. In another account of this guy, he would find out at night, he'd find out where the people were because of their screams. 
and he'd find his way through, and under enemy fire, he'd be a stretcher bearer. Let me, let me ask you a question. And I'm asking myself the same question. Would I live a life that's so drastic that I would be a stretcher bearer for those wounded around me? Through their cries of the economy or losing a, a loved one or broken relationships or whatever, when I know with just a little bit of work, although it's uncomfortable, although it's kind of weird, I can get them to Jesus? It might not be a direct shot, but I can, I can work my way around it. And if I think and I put my mind to it, we can get more people to Jesus. That's my question for us this morning. See, I believe that living the abundant life, living passionately, has everything to do with partnering with, Je- with Jesus in ministry. I just believe that's what it is. It's not sin management. It's not reading your Bible. It's watching God work through the lives of those around you. 